0: <clears throat> good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be back. Uh, listen, open up your Bibles to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to start. We have a very different kind of sermon time this morning. Uh, usually I make you work on a Sunday morning. We pull out pens and we pull out our Bibles and we dig in and we write a bunch of stuff down. And this is a bit more like story time. Remember story time at kindergarten? Uh, that was always my favorite time of the day. You pull out a rug and they turn the lights off and you get to listen to a story. What's better than that? Um, I just wanted to share with you some of the, the things God was teaching, teaching us kind of through our trip. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my wife and I just got back from China. I don't normally dress like this, but I thought it seemed appropriate for, uh, for this morning um and uh and while I was over there just just had time to jot down some different thoughts um several of these literally were written down at 2:30 in the morning while kids were screaming so I don't know how coherent this whole sermon's going to be uh, but you'll just get to get a little snapshot of some of the things that that we learned and and kind of went through i want to open with this truth it's a truth that's really familiar and sometimes when things are really familiar it's easy to gloss over them it's a it's a passage of scripture hebrews 4:12 and uh, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It goes on to say this, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account. We're going to have a lot of fun this morning. I've got some fun stuff to show you. But isn't this a sobering truth? I kind of wanted to start with just the weightiness of this sobering truth. It's a big truth. It's a great truth. One of the things that travel does is this. It makes you realize it's true in the USA. And if you travel halfway around the world to the far parts of the globe, it's true over there as well. And I kind of want to tell some stories, but I want to let it, kind of be through this lens that the Word of God kept popping up in all kinds of different ways, some in very blatant, whoa, God, kinds of ways, and others that kind of, as I reflected on our trip, as I reflected on stories and whatnot, little verses kind of bubbled to the surface that I thought, wow, God's already said that. I've already known this to be true. It's true in China, just like it's true uh, where we live as well. So when you travel, some of you have had an opportunity to travel, some of you uh not so much, but one of the things that you notice right away, many of you have been to Mexico, and you notice that uh that there's a lot of there's a lot of differences and there's some similarities. And it's kind of fun. That's one of the ways you kind of distinguish right between if you're home or not, is whether things feel familiar or not. And I wanted to just kind of show you some of the some of the differences that that, that we encountered. Um so so this is a menu at, at one of our favorite little noodle shops that we happened upon. The travel agency that sends you off, um, they kind of point you to the places that Americans evidently like. Um, KFC has a market in the middle of China, if you, if you can believe that. So does Pizza Hut, and so does Subway. So they say, hey, here's the three restaurants in town. And we're like, we don't really eat that much of that when we're home. We, we don't know the Chinese version of those things as we be any better. So we wanted to branch out and eat like the locals do. My buddy Glenn Miller, who's traveled all over the world, taught me a little trick. He said, if you eat an odorless garlic tablet every morning, you won't get sick. And when he and I traveled all through China and ate some crazy stuff, I never got sick. So we've bought into that. We took an odorless garlic tablet and we ate as, as we desired at any little noodle house, anything we went to. So here we are standing in front of this restaurant looking at the menu going, huh. And we saw guys pulling, pulling these noodles, like tossing them and slinging them in the air. We thought, this looks like just a fun place to eat. Think taqueria, but China. Okay, that's where we were. And uh, and we're chatting away and talking away. And uh, we haven't heard a lot of English in, in this place at all. And this woman's sitting there. After like four or five minutes, she goes, um, do you need help translating? She's Chinese. And we're like, yes, we need help translating. She goes, Oh, I'm from Boston. I'm like, Oh, so cool. So she had, she had perfect Chinese and she helped us order some, some amazing food. But almost everywhere we went, it looked like this. So without a picture menu or without a guide kind of telling you things, um, or without Google Translate, which works pretty well over there, you were just kind of, uh, kind of stuck. Personal space is certainly a challenge. Uh, this is, I call this the, the Buddha mosh pit because this is people straining to look at a Buddha statue. Uh, if you look in the lower left hand corner, see this? That's my wife. That's Becky in the Buddha mosh pit. People are just shoving in there. And I had so much fun. I didn't really care to take a picture. I just wanted to be part of the mosh pit. So I shove my way in. I'm getting elbowed in the back. And it's this old lady. I'm like, that's so cool. So I'm taking pictures. It's just how you do. Shoving is kind in China. If you want to say that you love someone, you just shove them. China's amazingly good at moving tons and tons of people, which is good, because there are tons and tons of people in China. We had to take the obligatory a subway selfie. Uh, this, this is where you're, you're so pinned, but you kind of weasel an arm up there so you can kind of take a picture. Probably not that much different than New York, but I've never been in New York, so this is our version of it. Um, certainly, shopping's different. This is the meat section at Walmart, no joke. Uh, and, and the way that it works is you just have all the meats out there and there's little bags. Uh, if you can see these these bags up, up here. So you just grab a plastic bag, and you just kind of rifle through the pieces that look good. I didn't think any of it looked good. So we didn't buy any of it. But there's Cassie shopping away. Um, if you want a puppy, then what you do is you cross the street. There's these overpasses that kind of go over these insane streets. So you walk up over there, and there's a guy selling puppies. So almost every day, um, Cassie would ask for a puppy. And I said, uh, Cassie, we're not buying a puppy. Until two days later, um, if you want a turtle, you go to the same overpass, and they're they're selling turtles. So then she wanted a turtle, and the cooks would like this. A couple days later, there were bunnies hopping all over the place up there. So this is the pet store. You just kind of kind of running around. This is a picture of the person on on the in the purple is my wife's sister Tammy. She came with us. She was a huge help to us um, as we had two toddlers dealing with and all that. Aunt Tammy was, was Cassie's travel buddy, but also just our help, and really she became kind of the auntie for every family that was there, taking pictures for them, moving bags, doing this, doing that. She was a huge servant. In this picture, uh, we are all smiling, and the reason we're smiling is we don't know what's being sold at those little um, booths behind us. Let me show you what's being sold at the booths behind us. Um, there's basically an assortment of all kinds of bugs skewered and um, and glistening and looking amazing. Um, here's kind of zoomed in. Those are scorpions that you just kind of buy on the street and snack on. Um, Shao's getting hungry, I can tell right now. Uh, there was some there was some fresh poultry. Uh, they always leave the heads on every animal that they eat, so it's really clear what you're eating. There's no hiding it. You're just going kind to of say, this is some kind of poultry. They seem to be really into snakes, uh, eating snakes on a stick, so that's a popular item. And uh, you can tell that's frog next to it. And then uh, this is um, escargot, but if you don't call it escargot, it's a lot cheaper. It's really cheap when you put a snail on a stick. Uh, escargot tends to be a little bit more expensive. Uh, the ever-popular starfish, which uh, I can't imagine eating a starfish, but evidently I saw people gnawing away on those. And then this was really the kicker. This was the one that got us the best, the tarantulas that were um, right there next to everything else, and you just munch on them. It's a little crunchy, uh, a little bit like chips. So... Um, I've just done you all a favor. No matter what is served for the welcome lunch, you're gonna love it. You're, you're just gonna, you're gonna be so thankful that we didn't serve tarantula, uh, this, this time. Really, the look on Cassie's face says it all. Um, that was, that was Cassie. Uh, so, we had just eaten. Um, unfortunately, we were, we were super full. Uh, there were, there were some similarities. It's a very short list, but we found an Apple store in Beijing. And we found uh, we found a Starbucks. Somehow Starbucks has made its way to China. Shocker! But really, the biggest similarity that you realize, no matter where you go, is that people are people. And no matter where you go, people have some of the some very similar hopes and dreams. They have uh, they're just people. And it was it was kind of neat to see that, even though there are just these cultural differences that are really vast. And you think, well, how could I connect? And and it's pretty easy, actually. I mean, you just get talking to people. And uh, and and that's that's the, the truth of it. There are a few things that appear the same on the surface but are different. I mentioned Pizza Hut. One night we just kind of had enough of Chinese food. Let's go check out the Pizza Hut. Turns out in China, some of you know this because you travel overseas. Turns out in China, Pizza Hut is like a fancy sit-down restaurant. No joke. And it has a menu the size of like Cheesecake Factory. It's the most bizarre thing. You walk in. You're seated at a table. You see that uh, oh, we didn't see it here, but there's flowers on the table. There's piano music playing. I'm waiting for kids going to the prom, going to Pizza Hut. Like, it's the weirdest thing. And so we thought, well, let's order some nice pasta. Uh, but pasta at Pizza Hut, it's still Pizza Hut. So it tastes a little bit like it was made by Chef Boyardee. Um, it was just not that good, really. But it was kind of an interesting experience to be at Pizza Hut in China. So here's a sense of uh, a kind of where we were. Let me just say this, that, you know, being over there, it was really, really clear why we were there. We knew very clearly why we were there. We were on mission for God, and we had a very specific purpose. The locals uh, didn't really understand why we were there. Uh, in, in fact, we just got a lot of looks, a lot of people curious. The agency has discovered it's probably best just to have, um, you can tell that rules and things were made because they were needed in the past. So we were each handed this lanyard that had our name on it. It had the name of our hotel. Like if we get lost, we're like kindergartners. If we get lost, here's how to get us back to our hotel. You know, like a note from our mom. But then it also said on there that we are here to adopt these children. Because the locals are wondering, why do these white people have these Chinese babies with them? That doesn't make any sense. So here we were at a park, and um, a few minutes before this guy uh, came by, about 20 school kids ran by, and they ran by, and about the third one looked over and saw us, and he stopped like dead in his tracks to kind of look at us, and it kind of caused this thing, and they all just were like, and then they went running on, they kind of took off. but we stopped school kids dead in our tracks because they just didn't know what to, what, what to, what to make of us. Um, I evidently thought it was important to glare at this man, um, letting him know that we were kind parents and we would take good care of these children. I'm not sure why I did that, but I did. Um, we traveled to this city. I need three volunteers really quick just to raise your hand. You don't have to come up here, but I just need you to. Madison's one. Who else? Who's two others? Brian Jackson. You're another one. And Chad, you don't count. You, you might you might know this. Uh, we'll do Jamie in the back. OK. Uh, we're going to start with you, Madison. How do you pronounce this city uh, in, in China? Just take a stab at it. Zhang Zhao. Is that what you said? That's not even close. Um, <laughs> let's go, Jamie, in the back. <laughs> what? Zenzao. Zen <laughs> it's so funny because if you say it with enough passion, it sounds like you know the language. Not even close, Brian. Boston. Boston. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, that's actually closer to the pronunciation. <clears throat> so this is. Do you, do you have it in the back? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Zhou. Very good. Yeah, a few of you, a few of you knew it. That is Zhengzhou, if you can believe that. Uh, but that's, that's where we stayed, uh, in the city of, of, uh, excuse me, of Zhengzhou. Um, you have never heard of Zhengzhou for a couple of clear reasons. There are no resorts there. There's no seaside property there. They're not famous for their spas or their zip lines or roller coasters or anything like that. Uh, it's just this massive kind of industrial city in the middle of China. Being there, um, On mission from God, knowing very clearly what we were doing there made it super simple each day. Each day we had something really clear to do. Most of the time it was meet a deadline. Go be in the lobby by 8.30 in the morning of the hotel so that you don't miss the bus. Why? Because you're going to go meet your kids today and get them. Why? Because we need to go to the passport office. Because we need to go do notary work. Because we need to go do medical screenings. Because we need to go take a picture for their, the child's visa. And on and on it went. So so we knew. We woke up in the morning and we understood why we were there. We were focused and and it wasn't it wasn't unclear. We weren't trying to search out restaurants or the best fun things to do. We were there on mission for God. Now the second day that we were there, um, two two-year-olds were handed to us. So think about this. Everything that we were just doing just got exponentially harder, right? So waking up, showering, getting ready for the day, harder with two two-year-olds. Going down to uh you know, getting dressed, and then going down and eating breakfast, right? And then if you've ever eaten breakfast with a toddler, what happens? You have to go back up, shower again, get redressed, right? Then you have to get all your important papers that you need. You've been working on for months for these important papers. Then you gather those up. Then you unwrinkle them because the kids have since found the important papers and wrinkled them up, so you've got to make them look presentable. Then you go down to the lobby. Then you go do whatever whatever it is you're, you're supposed to be doing. And what happens is this. Um, after you do that day after day after day, there comes this point in time when these two little kids officially take on your name. When all of a sudden they get to become citizens of this great nation that we live in. And so you're, you're just kind of, you're just kind of plodding along, doing these different things, and then voila, this, this kind of, you know, ray of sunshine pokes through and you're like, wow, we've arrived. Like we, we have these two kids in our family. Here's the, here's the truth, uh, that, that I want to give to you on this, is that great visible results often come as a result of many mundane, faithful steps. Isn't that true in so much of life? I was thinking about your career. I was thinking about uh, the the ways that that you serve God. I was thinking about your relationships and your marriages and those kinds of things. There's a lot of mundane steps that just doesn't even feel like you're getting somewhere huge or great. And then all of a sudden you kind of round a bend and and this great thing happens. And so we, we kind of discovered that while we were there. Um, We got to travel with about eight or nine other families, and and here's a truth that we know well from this church is that regular people are involved in in adoption and foster care. But but these regular people who are involved in this have results that are anything but regular or normal. They're really supernatural. They're really pretty spectacular. Both before and during China, um, we just needed to take the next step. We just needed to keep Going And the reason that we kept doing all these different steps is because we had our eyes on the prize, right? What's the prize? The prize is we get to welcome in two new kids to our family. So we just kept plodding along going, that's, that's what's going to one day come around the corner and be on our table. Um, adoption, especially the in-country part, is a lot like Disneyland. There's a lot of long, boring lines. But there's no payoff with like cars ride at the end, right? So you're just sitting there with two squirming toddlers in a much more boring line than Disneyland provides. Then you get to the end and you get kind of a, you know, mediocrely sad government worker helping you stamp some things on paperwork. And then they give you a receipt and you're done. You're like, I wish I was on cars right now. That's why I kept thinking like, it's way better waiting at Disneyland than waiting in China. But, uh, but we kept, we kept doing it. Um, this is really the, 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 the Christian life. We understand right, that there are things coming. There are things God's doing in us right now. But there are things coming that we keep our eyes on. Uh, listen to, to 2 Timothy 4.7. Again, a really popular verse, famous verse. But don't miss it. Paul writing near the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then he says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Do you hear the future of that? And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I got to tell you, last Sunday was awesome for me. Something about going away and coming home, Um, and then coming home on Easter Sunday was so spectacular. Everything felt more emotional. Um, Chad, just loved getting to witness you being baptized. Um, The music, the fellowship, your faces, um, Ben's sermon, uh, just everything about it was so good to come and celebrate the resurrection. I thought, wow, this is what we get to do all the time. Uh, but somehow being away from it for just a couple of weeks, you know, just, just kind of let it land a little bit more heavy on me last week. What a great uh, word that that this is this is for all those who have loved his appearing. How amazing to be in a room full of people who have loved his appearing and who look forward to his second coming. That's what they're living for. In the meantime, of all this, though, we are more than conquerors. I kept going through our trip and um and, and just thinking, God, I'm a child of the king. You've rescued me out of slavery. I'm your child. I have unlimited resources available to me today to accomplish the work you've given me to do today. And so that that thought rang with me uh all through China. I want to just say this, I want to say a simple thanks. Um, to, to so many of you. Many of you were just praying on behalf of us and, um, and just lifting us up and, and holding us up in prayer and covering us in prayer and, um, and we're so grateful for that. The, the sheer number of people that it took for us to do this adoption, um, is, is so lengthy. I would, I would literally sound like one of those people on an Oscar night receiving an Oscar. I'd start doing the thanks. You know they'd eventually start playing the music and cut to commercial because so I would just keep on going. So all I will just say is just a simple thanks to you, church family. Uh, this church, this this adoption, and some of the ones that are coming up, and some of the ones that have already happened. It's such a collective kind of church victory. Uh, this church has over and abundantly been generous in their love for orphans around the world and and in our own backyard. And and it's astounding. It's a really amazing God thing that we see going on in our midst. And so, on behalf of not only us but um, but just many in our midst who are who are in process. If you don't know, there's four right now who are um, who are getting trained so that they can do foster care. There's one in the back of our sanctuary today who has a court appointment at the end of this month um, to legally make. Uh, little little Geo their their own little guy I and mean, there is just so much stuff going on the prayer needs to continue the support needs to continue but let's pause and just say thank you um, we we had children's workers stand up I should just have the whole church stand up and just say applaud yourself I don't know it's a weird thing uh, but but thank you thank you for for that you know on the idea of being on mission. Um, for Jesus at all times, uh, because of my profession as a pastor, the Chinese consulate required me to write a special letter to them upon my visa request to say that I, uh, my primary mode or reason for going to China is not to proselytize. Proselytize is a big fancy word that just means trying to convert people to, to my belief system. So, um, so I dutifully wrote my letter saying that was not my primary uh, reason for going to China. I was going to adopt children and this and that. I sent it off to China. They approved my entry into their country because I wrote this letter, um, you know. But the the reality of it is, um, as a as a Christian, uh, no matter where I go, um, I'm always a witness for Jesus Christ, right? No matter what. I mean, Christians aren't ever off duty. Um, I mean, Christians live their life. Um, as a song. I mean, our song is is to glorify God in all that we do. We can't help but just talk about that, think about that, and live that way. I didn't think including all of that in my letter seemed appropriate at the time, so I didn't write any of that into the Chinese consulate. But that's just the reality of what it means to be a Christian. So here I was over in China, and, um, and uh, I just saw God's sense of humor. Uh, so my restriction at not being allowed to preach or proselytize um, stirred up... So many conversations over the two and a half weeks uh about God, about Christianity, about the Bible, um, such that I got to pray with many, many people. Um, this is just God's sense of humor. Okay. So for instance, we were we were with these families um the first couple days we actually had time to have adult conversation. Remember what that is like? Parents of, of young kids? Yeah. It'll it'll come again, I'm told. Um, but we were able to have some adult conversation where we didn't have our kids with us, and so we were able to chat and kind of get to know each other. And this one guy found out that, uh, he said, hey, with you being a pastor and all, um, did you have any problems getting into the country? I said, well, I had to write this letter, you know, and I'm not supposed to preach about, you know, how awesome God is, and I'm not supposed to really, you know, talk about the Bible, the infallible word of God. And no, I didn't really say it. But I was just, you know, kind of sharing. here, we are walking with the whole big group. Everyone's listening, you know, and he goes, he goes, well, I find that so fascinating. He said, well... He said, it'll be so fun to just tempt you over these next two and a half weeks, letting you know, man, I'm really wrestling with my faith. You know, is anyone, is anyone able to help me? You know, I really have some questions about this book called the Bible and, and, and if it's true or not. Can anyone help me? And, and it, and it led to, no joke, two or three days in a row, he kept bringing this up. And it led to all kinds of conversations about this. Remember Church is God's idea? Church is God's idea says this. The shepherd's role is to equip the saints, right? And so it's not—it's not that I have to be the one sharing it. Um, That—that came up, isn't it? Isn't it good that God's plan all along is that—is that you can shut down the positioned leaders of the church, but you can't possibly shut down all the sheep, right? And so this came up over and over, and it was just—it was just great. It was God's sense of humor. I, I was spending time in a in a supposedly atheistic country, a secular country called China, um, and uh, and they have failed miserably at eradicating faith. They haven't done it. Unless you call explosive church growth uh, success, which I don't think they would consider that. Um, but what happens is a government can take positioned leaders and they can put them in jail, they can offer threats, they can do all sorts of stuff to them, but you can't possibly shut up all the sheep right? I mean, the, the way it happens, we see this in church history, is that as there's any kind of persecution and saying what you can and can't do and regulating, man, that just causes Christianity to spread like 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 wildfire. And so that was, that was actually on display. Uh, I thought about this, you know, how prepared are we? How prepared are we right now as a church, as a specific local church, but also kind of the church of the South Bay, how prepared are we to give up the comforts that we currently know? The government starts coming in and saying, no, you guys can't be doing this. And the government starts taking people who have official positions and titles and saying, you're, you're now in jail because this isn't allowed to, to happen anymore. Don't you see that what happens is there has to be this, this rising up, this, this raising of other leaders in the church that, that would be there. As I kind of reflected on our church, I think that we're, I think that we're better positioned than some churches in some ways. Because I think we have a, um, a high involvement level here, but I think we have a long way to, grow, to, 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 to just grow in this. It reminds us to do this. It reminds us to not only pray for our brothers and sisters in China, and China is not the only country, but that's the one on, on focus this morning, but to also learn from our brothers and sisters in China. They, they are expressing their faith. They're living out what it means to be a Christian in an oppressive place that says that this isn't allowed, this isn't legal to have free expression of it. So yes, we should enjoy the freedom that we have now, but let's use our freedom time right now to be to begin preparing for a, a day that, that, that could be coming sooner than we think. Let's use our freedom to be praying for brothers and sisters around the world who they literally don't have this luxury right here. You would never walk around and say, I'm a pastor and here's our church address. That would be harmful to the sheep. Speaking of uh, the whole idea of church as God's idea, which was kind of still on my mind as I was in China, um, you know, adoption creates families. And, and it's a really, really powerful thing. We had three families on our trip that were first-time parents. And, uh, and we all went to this kind of waiting room. And, and, um, and the first child that they brought in, they're coming from different orphanages and different time travels and all that. <laughs> time travel, that sounds really bizarre distances traveled to get to this place. You got it. Um, And the first couple was Greg and Brenda. They're from Texas. And, uh, and, And Brenda hands me her camera and says, would you take some pictures? So I was kind of like the paparazzi, you know, in there taking pictures. And as soon as this little girl walked in and was handed to this couple, I just lost it. I was bawling my eyes out. I just thought, wow, I... I don't know how this happened, but a couple of days touring around Beijing and then taking a domestic flight here and a day later, somehow this qualifies for me to be here in this intimate moment with this family. This couple that turns out they were a, a Christian couple as well, um, and, and to not only witness them but two other families on that day have this family form right before your eyes. It was spectacular, so powerful to see. Ephesians 1.4 says, "...in love..." He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And being over there, you just see these spiritual truths kind of, kind of flesh out. Participating in a physical adoption really vividly lays out your spiritual adoption for you as a Christian. And all these passages and thoughts and ideas and songs that we sing just are flooding in my mind as I look at this. You know, God made us all to be in families, but sin breaks that, right? So there's a lot of less than ideal in the world. And when less than ideal is in the world, other things happen. And foster families step in, and government institutions step in, and these kids are cared for, but it's not quite a family. (coughs) I'll show you some pictures momentarily, but... Uh, orphanages are, are similar to homes in a lot of ways. There's a kitchen. There are other people around. There are other kids. There's meal time. There's potty time. There's changing time. There's a bedroom. There's a little play area. Um, but that's a far cry from a home, right? And when you look at these these precious women and mostly women who are there, these nannies uh, serving these kids day in and day out, you also just have this thought lodge in your brain that that nanny will never be mommy to a kid. So even though they're caring for them, even though they're loving on them, even though they're, man, they've chucked that food in that mouth so fast because they've got to get on to the next one, right? And so you see this, this kind of this kind of brokenness that's around you, and, and it reminds you, man, there's no place like home and there's no one like family. And that's what God's done for us. God has taken us who, who come from some pretty sin-scarred places in the physical realm, and he's placed us in a family. And I don't want us to overlook that. I um, don't have time to go into the details of this, but it was pretty remarkable. As we got to kind of know these families pretty well, actually, over the course of time, um, each kid seemed to fit their, their, their family so well. There was this great couple we, we really connected with, and they're a little bit on the more reserved, a little bit quieter side, and they had just a, more, a quieter kid. And, and um, just, it was fascinating to sit and watch these, um, the, these, these families. And this verse came to my mind as I, as I was watching this, Psalm 68, 6. God places the lonely in families. He doesn't just shuffle them in there. He sets them in. And we look at the, the, the two that we got. And we go, wow, God, you, you knew. You knew which two were ours. My buddy uh, Tim Riley he said he was, uh, was kind of watching things unfold on Facebook. And he said this. He said, you know, Dave, watching the pictures, looking at the pictures of you guys reuniting at the airport, he said my wife and I were bawling our eyes out. He said, it reminded me of this. He said, he said I, I just kept thinking this is how all new believers ought to be welcomed into the church. That just immediately there's a sense of sibling. Immediately there's a sense of you're my brother, you're my sister. Get over here for a hug, right? Isn't that the picture of how a new believer should enter the church? I thought, yes, that's so true. Not only that, but new babes in Christ learn what it is to belong and what it is to be loved and what it is to function in a family simply by watching their older siblings. We had a couple of things already happen in a a week's time. Everly and Tate started off super, super fearful of this giant black beast that lives with us named Finn. He's a black lab that wouldn't hurt anyone really, but he's kind of scary because I don't think they had a lot of black labs at the orphanage. So they would see the dog and like freak out, Ah! Um, and uh, and in a very short period of time, in a couple of days, what happens is they would study. They would watch little Eli. They would watch Tegan. They would watch Ethan. And they would watch them interact with the dog and give hugs and lay on the floor and wrestle and play. And so um, last night, uh, Everly, our daughter, is there. And Finn's wagging his tail, you know, waiting to go out and get his dinner. And I see Everly. She goes over to his tail like this. And she, like, any time toddlers are near our dog, they go like this. You know why? Because the tail's, like, right at that height. So all of our kids, when they get around dogs, they brace themselves and they squint. So she's squinting, and she's backing into his tail. And his tail's going boom, 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 boom against her back. And she was smiling and loving it. And just a, just a few days in, why? Because she's watching the other siblings, what's safe, what's okay, what's not. Thursday night, I'm about ready to come to men's group. We're enjoying a nice, lovely meal with nice conversation. It dawned on me. This is strange. Why are we enjoying nice conversation and a lovely meal? I have two toddlers that, that are kind of hard to eat with, frankly. And I, and I caught this moment in my mind. We're all sitting around the dinner table. I'm asking kids about their day. They're telling me about their day. Because we're scatterbrained and all that, we don't even have proper high chairs yet. So we have two toddlers sitting at adult chairs, kind of standing at adult chairs, and they are sitting there taking their fork and using it to scoop food and put it in their own mouth. This is strange, right? I mean, those of you who have toddlers, isn't that strange? They're not using the fork to stab their sibling, right? They're not using it to fling. They're not randomly grabbing their plate and thinking it's hilarious to chuck it against the wall. This was China. This was how it was the whole time in China. But here's, again, what I realized they have now had several days of watching. What happens when we sit around the dinner table is that kids, for the most part, stay seated, and they eat their food, and they don't throw their food, and they use it to kind of eat, and then we talk. And so, literally, for for many minutes, which is shocking, we had a nice, pleasant moment at the dinner table of just conversation. And I'm fascinated watching these kids. They didn't do any of that in China. But here they have these these other models around them. And I thought, wow, this is Christian discipleship right here. You don't even need some giant fancy program for mentorship and discipleship. You know what you need is you need family. You need lives that are close enough to each other that we just kind of rub off on each other. We need new Christians who are willing to look around and observe and say, what does it mean to live this God life? What does it mean to walk with the Lord? Gosh, this person's been walking. I don't think I'll watch him for a while. I think I'll just kind of try to mimic what what, what he does. And just just the idea of sharing a meal together and living with one another, there's there's all this kind of rubbing off that that that, that, that goes on. Speaking of the power of a shared meal, um, you know sometimes we can get into our into our lives. I don't know if you're like this, uh, but but you can get into your life, and 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 sometimes you've got this thing coming up on Friday night. You schedule it weeks ago, or you've got you've got a, a dinner or plans or whatever. And sometimes you're just wiped out from your week, and you're like, ah, oh, I just wish I could stay in tonight. I'm exhausted. This sounds tiring. I'll tell you what cures you from thinking that an invite from friends to do a meal together or do something together is an interruption to your busy schedule. It's to go away and be totally removed from your community in a totally uh, different and foreign place. All of a sudden, there's huge power in a simple shared meal together with friends. Um, as many of you know, the Chows um, are a young couple in our church and uh, and, um, for months, we kind of went back and forth, uh, on totally different time planes of adopting from China. And we all kept wondering, kind of, who's going to travel first and, and all of that. Um, on, on one particular day, we got to go to the orphanage and we got to meet little Keon. Keon's the one between Becky and I right there. That's Keon Chow. Um, that's that's the chow's new son. We got to meet them before they even did. In fact, we, we made sure, we said, hey, is it okay if we hug them and give them kisses and love on him before you do, because that feels a little bit wrong. And they were like, man, pour on the love. So I got to do a pastor visit here early on for a future NBC member uh, before he was legally a chow. Later on that night, the chows flew in to Zhengzhou and we got to share a meal with them and they got to meet our kids. So after months and months and months of just craziness, all kinds of comparing notes and all that, on the same exact day, we got to meet each other's kids, and we got to enjoy a meal in China together. Here's one of the most amazing things. The guy on the far right is Alex's dad. He speaks Chinese. Yes. <laughs> so that meant, that meant we got to know what we were eating. It was fantastic. Do you see there's not much food left on the table? Because, because we had him. He's like our secret weapon. But to sit there and just think, wow, they're just starting this part of the journey. We're going to all meet up back together one day at NBC, and this will all be just normal that our kids are running around. But what an amazing God moment to just have all of this go on on this one um, on this one day. You know, there's a whole another side to adoption. Um, people often ask about about adoption and, and our and our family and other families, and there's there's just a, a lot of redemption to it. There's a lot of pros to it. Um, but but there is there is another side of it. There's a there's a whole brokenness to it. Think about Easter. There's no crown without a cross, right? Um, we don't often do a great job of, of commemorating. I don't know if you celebrate Good Friday, but you commemorate it, right? You you stop and you take stock of what went on on Good Friday, and it makes Resurrection morning all the more bright, all the more powerful. And and with with adoption, um, most people want to just camp out on the redemption side. And that's fine. We don't we don't drag people into the brokenness side. But let me just let you into the inner circle a little bit more. If this slips out of your mouth, by the way, don't feel bad. I'm not going to jump down your throat. We hear it all the time. But one of the common things that we hear often as we go out is this. And we heard this all through China. Man, your children are so lucky. The ones that you're adopting. What a lucky child. Let me just pull back the, the screen for a moment. There's not a whole lot of luck Or goodness that goes with losing your biological family. Um, there's not a whole lot of luck and joy and fun that comes with sort of this lifetime of questions that's, that, that you just, you have to live with the uncertainty. That's part of, that's part of being an orphan, right? And so, um, so when people say that, again, there's, there's, there's just struggle that goes on. Do you notice that, that 50% of the people in this picture are not smiling, right? They're not smiling because it's rough. Like this transition they're going through is is really challenging. We've we've noticed this um, even in foster care where, um, where kids know that things are really broken with their own mom and dad. But you know what? They don't want to bond with, with you as a foster parent right away. They're not thrilled. They're not so taken with your acts of generosity. They want their mom and dad back. That's what they want. They don't care that they're alcoholics. They don't care that they beat them. They don't care that they neglect them. They don't care that they're in prison. They want mom and dad back together and they want to be with them. That's what they want. And so to not get that always feels second. And so there's this, there's this working that, that goes on. Um, leaving all that they know and living with questions is a challenge. (sighs) Following Jesus isn't easy, but it's good. Matthew, uh, 10, 37 says, whoever leaves father or mother, um, uh, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There was a book that was recommended to me called "Do Hard Things." Um, it seemed really challenging to read the book, so I never read it. But the title alone just kind of spurred some neat ideas in me. Um, and and uh, I don't recommend this if if your marriage is struggling. Um, I'm saying this facetiously. Um, but, but it really is true that if you want to spice up your marriage, uh, if you want to strengthen your family bonds, go do something challenging. Go do something hard. And you don't need to just go dream something up. Just honestly listen to Jesus and go where he's leading you. Enter into, move toward brokenness. Move toward injustice. There's a lot of really challenging things out there in the world, Right? And God is calling his servants, God is calling his witnesses into some really difficult places. What happens is, when you follow Jesus into really difficult places, you grow. Um, the first few moments and days and weeks and months are super hard. Uh, with these kids, there's, there's much grieving, there's raging, there's kind of a sullenness. Uh, when you hold a newly adopted child, this is true of all of our kids so far, they pull away. They don't know to snuggle in. They don't want to snuggle in. When you try to give them a bottle and give them eye contact, they will do everything but make eye contact with you. Why? Because they're fighting this thing, saying this is a foreign entity. What's happening here? And so the job of an adoptive parent, whether it's foster adopt or whether it's um, international or domestic adoption, it may look like parents aren't doing much. Here's their job. Here's their role. They are working night and day to bond with this child. It is so important that they bond with this child and that this child bonds particularly with mom. There's all these things that go on when a newborn infant, you guys have probably heard some of the studies about, about the exact distance that, a, that an infant's eyes can focus on and see. And all this, all this um, bonding and neurons that, you know, kind of neuron pathways in the brain that get formed when you're nursing a newborn child. All these things that wash over a child's body chemically that say, you're safe, you're in a good place. This is a good person. Well, now imagine for our kids, two years of that totally missing, gone. So what we're doing is we're going back in and we're trying to form those things. That's that's what we're focused on. We're just doing that over and over and over again. Um, You can actually help with this. Um, As Joe and Alex come back with Keon, as some others in our family are going to be bringing in new children around here, Think of it a little bit like this. Don't think I'm comparing kids to dogs, okay? But when you see a dog that says, I'm working, and it's a service dog in some way, usually it says, I'm working, please don't approach me, or something like that. What you know is you don't just get to treat that dog like any other dog, right? If you see a dog walking in the park, you say, hey, do you mind if I pet your dog? That's just a normal question. You can do that. Um, I kind of thought, man, we should have adoptive children, you know, wear, wear little jackets that say, I'm bonding. You know, please check with my mom or dad if, if, if you can engage me. Because the reality is, um, as, as we bring them into a new situation, um, they don't know yet who their nuclear family is. I'm convinced our kids, I, one of our kids asked, hey, do you think they know this is their home yet? I said, no, I think this is another hotel room to them. They think we're going to move in a few days because we moved. You know, a couple different hotels as we traveled around doing our different things. It'll take them weeks and weeks and weeks to figure out, oh, these same two people keep waking up and caring for me every single day. They're learning from the ground up what parents are. So here's where you can help, church, is just being sensitive, just thinking to ask mom and dad, hey, so happy for you, and, and kind of taking cues from us, from, from other adoptive families, as to, as to how much engagement. We know you love us. We know your instinct is to grab and hold and cuddle. And we, there's, there's going to come a time. You've seen it with other adoptive kids. There's going to come a time for that. But in the early days, they're trying to figure out what a family is. Um, one of the things about doing hard things is just learning to, to serve your spouse in new ways. And that comes through trial and error. Um, and yes, I said error. Uh, we had many times on this trip, just lest you put anyone on a pedestal, many times where I was not serving my wife in the way that I should. We had our nerves, our last nerves, get get stretched, trampled on, spit up on, and pulled and yanked, and, and it wasn't getting any sleep. And that nerve caused problems. And so there were these relational strains going on, these different things. And what happens is somehow when you get pulled really far and then you survive, and you, and you repent, and you love each other, and you say, we made it. We're still here. We're still smiling. We're still together. There's something that, amazing that happens. You grow. There, there's sort of a depth of security in, in our relationship um, because of some of these hard things that we've done. Um, and we anticipated this. We've done this before. So we kind of knew uh, some of these things were, were going on. Um, you know, two snotty-nosed, coughing, sneezing toddlers is really fun anytime, but the cherry on top is when they're when they're freaked out because everything they know is different. There's a different smelling person, different sounding person um, caring for them, all these different things happening, you know, to, to kind of make matters even more fun, to, to help facilitate bonding, and plus to keep them from... Getting run over by the 1.2 million scooters that exist in China, you have to keep them strapped to your body right here. So a coughing, sneezing child in your face, you know, for two weeks, um, here's a, here's a bold prediction I made on day one. I'm gonna get sick, right? So now we're doing this sick and we're coughing and sneezing and all of that. And and as you go through these things, again, God just, just kind of grows you. Um, probably one of the, one of the harder things for us is leaving our own children at home. And one of the great sacrifices our own kids make is just, um, saying bye to mom and dad and, and giving us up for a couple of weeks. But you know, as you FaceTime your kids and as you make introductions over, over the internet, um, there's, there's, there's things going on in your own kids too that's just growing and stretching them. Several times we were, uh, we were just in some difficult moment. Nighttime is absolutely terrifying for our daughter still. As if to give me one more sermon illustration, last night at 3.30 in the morning, um, we had two toddlers that were just freaking out, screaming their head off. And my wife, Becky, just said, you know, one of us better sleep and you have to preach in the morning. Why don't you go sleep on the couch? So for the first time in this ordeal, probably in any of our adoptions, I took her up on it because I'm like, "I, I need to get sleep. So I went down and slept on the couch while Becky managed and just dealt with things going on. Don't say any of that to say sympathy. Just it's hard, right? We're walking through this. And several times on the trip, I just looked at Becky and I said, this would be, this would count as a storm right here. Like, you know, it's usually, it's like two in the morning and, you know, whatever else is going on. And and it brought to mind this passage. In fact, we said this out loud to each other. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it's certainly rewarding. One last thought. The adoption and foster world is a battlefield. Uh, there's, a, there's a truth in Scripture that we're told that the children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. There's a one-child policy that existed in China for a long time, and it really robbed people of the gift of children. It's, it's since been um, legalized uh, that, that you can now have more than one child, but there's a sort of cultural um, thinking on it. I was reading a news article on one of our domestic flights, so it was it was in English, but it was all about China and just talking about different people about, you know, that 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 many don't want to now because it seems inconvenient or it's too expensive or, or whatever else. Um, and it's easy to see sort of brokenness and, and, and dysfunction in other countries, but I turned our attention onto our onto our own country. And I thought about, wow, we, we live in a country where if a child is inconvenient, you just dismiss the child through abortion, right? And so, um, and so we, we have our own struggles with understanding that children are a gift from God. They're a reward from him. This is a picture of the orphanage where Keon and Tate, Tate spent a year here. Um, Everly spent her two years here, and Keon spent his two years here. Um, on any given day, it houses 800 orphans. On the morning that we arrived, there was a four-year-old that had been surrendered to the orphanage by police. They, they found him. He had some, some, uh, some mental problems. And so the orphanage was scrambling around, making ready to, to bring in another, another tenant to their, to their orphanage. And, uh, you know, as we look at this, we, we, we look at this one, we thought, wow, this is one orphanage of several in this city, by the way one orphanage, in one city, in one country. There's just, there's just this giant worldwide need. What happens is you can get really overwhelmed by the numbers, and you can start thinking, wow, how can I make a difference? You could look at this orphanage and say, wow, out of 800, only three, three of those kids are being brought in by, by this church. But could you flip that around and say, wow, three kids. Are now sons and daughters are now going to be loved by this amazing family, um, and, and it and it just it just kind of changes the equation. It's, it's the same way with the unsaved. You know, the the world is full of spiritual orphans, and it's easy to just say, "How can I possibly make a difference to to someone?" These huge numbers um, seem really scary until you take them one at a time. What if, what if you are the tool that God uses to bring a spiritual orphan into the family of God this year? What if one to three new NBC family members exist at the end of this year because you are faithful to God? Aubrey Hepburn said this, You may be only one person to the world, but you may also be the world to one person. I thought how true that is for both the adoption world and for our call as Christians to make other disciples. We're going to sing about a great God. One of the things we got to... See, in China, was was a Buddhist temple, and we got to watch people worshiping Buddha. And I came home that night, and by God's providence, this was in my reading plan. I came home and I read this. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Let me pray. God, as we sing about who you are right now, um, Lord, as we celebrate and think about how global you are, God, that you express yourself in this location, but Father, we're a part of a giant family of Christians who 2,000 years after your son came and lived and died and rose again as being worshipped as the one true God this morning. We just give you praise for that. Thank you for including us. Thank you for roping us in. In Jesus' name, amen.